Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Magic and Medicine, a bonus series of the Three Ravens podcast all about superstitious spells, crazy charms and some downright revolting remedies. I'm Eleanor Conlon and a glass is wobbling under my nervous fingertips as I guide it over a spirit board waiting to find out if there's anybody there. Um, hi Eleanor, I'm here. It's my co-host Martin Vaux, who's journeyed from the spirit realm to join me. Yes, and I'm very excited because today marks the beginning of our Three Ravens haunting season. We've got seasonal bonus episodes coming every Thursday in October, plus ghost stories are plenty on Mondays and a Halloween special too. So make sure you've got plenty of cosy time curled up in a blanket with a warming beverage and perhaps an autumnal candle to join us for some haunting storytelling. It's absolutely our favourite time of year and it's fair to say that our house is well and truly decked out (laughs) with autumn leaves, skeletons and pumpkins. Yeah, at the moment I kind of feel like there's a new pumpkin-shaped artefact appearing in the house every time I turn around. That is definitely the work of decorative poltergeists and has nothing to do with me. (laughs) Okay, I admit it. I do find gourd shapes very appealing. (laughs) But there is one thing we certainly won't be including in our autumnal decor, and that's the subject of today's episode. Yeah, maybe not. We are, of course, talking about the Ouija, Mm. also known as the spirit board, talking board and witch board. (sighs) Martin, have you ever had any experiences with Ouija? Well, I've got to be honest. I was too freaked out to try it myself. I've had a couple of opportunities, one at a party where some people were doing the Ouija upstairs when the party was happening downstairs and I kind of left those people to it. But the one that really sticks in my mind is when I was a little lad at boarding school, I must have been about eight years old, there was just a Ouija board 
in the school library. Ooh. It had just been left in there. And uh, some of the kids got a hold of it and started to do a Ouija one night. And uh, the head of religious studies found out about it and uh, they got in trouble and the Ouija board disappeared, never to return. I mean, it's kind of the school's fault for having it in stock. <laughs> yeah, maybe. He could hardly have blamed the children for something that they had supplied. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was this kind of, you know, exciting rumour and exciting thing that was happening. And I remember sort of peering around the edge of a door frame, looking in at the room where you had these kids by torchlight doing Ouija and thinking, oh my God, I don't know if this is a good idea. You're going to release a demon. Now, I've always steered well clear as well and been very definite that I didn't want to use the Ouija, mm. which is a little bit strange because I do mostly believe that they are, whether consciously or unconsciously, controlled by the people using yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, that's what people say, isn't it? I suppose there's just that little bit of doubt and fear that some sort of door might be opened, which I would be ill-equipped to close. Yeah, the best level of insurance is just to not do the dangerous thing, isn't it? Completely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the basics then. What is Ouija? Yes. It's always been sold as a board game and consists of a flat board with the words yes and no in the top corners, the letters of the alphabet and the numbers zero to nine and the word goodbye at the bottom. It's usually accompanied by a planchette, which is a wooden teardrop-shaped pointer, often with a hole or a window. Mm. And the idea of the game is that two or more players sit around the board with their fingertips resting on the planchette and ask a question. Then the planchette will supposedly move of its own accord from letter to letter or to the yes or the no and spell out a reply to the question. Yeah, I think we all probably have associations with Ouija from various horror films, don't we? Where, you know, the entity answering the questions is far from benevolent and the act of asking questions using the board unleashes it upon the world. Yes, the Ouija has been the subject of a lot of horror films, mm. most notably The Exorcist, which I'll talk a bit more about soon. Okay. And the storyline usually involves the Ouija summoning an evil force, which then can't be adequately contained. Yeah, often because the Ouija players don't know what they're doing or get too frightened and don't properly say goodbye to the board and sort of close the circle. Yes, there's an emphasis on inexperienced users not being able to control the board properly. Mm. Although we often see the trope of teenagers using the Ouija for a dare or discovering one in an abandoned loft in an old property and then being unable to stay away from it. Yeah, or the demon or spirit that they're speaking to lying to them and then being suckered in and tricked by the spirit who, who then somehow tries to break free. I always yes. love those ones. But there's something very appealing to me about the boards themselves. Like they look very beautiful most of the time. Yeah, they're often very decorative with beautiful typeface. Yeah. And there's a reason for that because they were intended to be a commercial success and attract consumers. Okay, now I'm intrigued. That, to me, implies that the history of Ouija is not particularly ancient. Not really, no. A planchette writing does have a pretty old history. Okay. It's mentioned as being used in China in the 12th century. It was called Fuji and was supposedly a means to communicate with the spirit Ooh. world. But it later became regarded as a form of necromancy and was totally forbidden oh, interesting. by the Qing Dynasty. Wow. And then we hear more or less nothing of it until the rise of the Ouija in 19th century America. Oh, it surprises me that it's American. The name sounds 
French, maybe? Does it come from French and German? Like, yes, yes, Ouija? Oui, and yeah, yeah, that's a great guess. But apparently, the Ouija actually named itself. Say what? The makers of the first talking board supposedly asked the board itself what they should call it, and the reply, Ouija, came through. Whoa, that's so And cool. when they asked the board what the word meant, the reply only came... Good luck. Oh my God. That's either very wholesome or extremely threatening. I said it in a bit of a threatening way, but <laughs> I think that dichotomy perfectly captures why the Ouija was such a success. Mm. It was marketed as both this mysterious mystical oracle and simple family entertainment. Sure. So this is the 1800s when the spiritualist craze was sweeping the Western world, which was particularly big in America after the Fox sisters rose to popularity. Yes, very famous. They were famous mediums who claim to communicate with the dead by the means of interpreting rapping and knocking either on walls or under tables yeah. and later they exposed their own work as fraudulent and confessed that the rappings had been produced by cracking their ankles and toe joints to produce snaps and clicks now you'd be a natural at that it's my calling clearly <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe worth mentioning that every week when i do edit the three ravens podcast part of what i try and cut out is all the cracks of eleanor's wrists and ankles as she's gesticulating. <laughs> that's where we have uh, a fire underneath. Yeah, the <laughs> to crackle. To cover my yourself. snapping joints. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> or maybe it's the spirits I'm uh, oh, that's communicating also true. Yeah, with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, though, people wanted to believe in the Fox sisters, even when they came forward and said they'd been lying. Yeah, of course. Mentions of them in the parapsychological movement still often fail to include the fact it was a hoax. Mm. And such was the power of belief. And people really wanted to believe of that course. this was true and they were communicating with the other side. Yeah, it was really big in England too, especially after World War One, with the scale of deaths during that period. And, you know, you've got celebrated authors like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, for example, holding public events with mediums, claiming to contact deceased loved ones Absolutely. and so on and so People forth. People look for answers in uncertain times. Mm. And in 19th century America, we not only have the backdrop of the Civil War, yeah, of course. but the average lifespan of people was less than 50 years old. <sighs> That's rough, isn't it? So people were dying all all the time. Mm. And President Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary, even held seances in the White House after the death of their 11-year-old son. Oh, that's so, so interesting. It was really normal mm. to want to communicate with the dead. And I think one of the things which made spiritualist practices like this so appealing to people then was that they were completely compatible with Christianity. Yeah, of course. Yeah, You could do the Ouija on Saturday night and still go to church on Sunday morning. Mm. And a customer letter to the manufacturers in 1914 actually directly asked if Ouija meant Jesus. <laughs> no. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Now, this is sounding a lot more gentle than I'd imagine this episode might be. I think modern cinema has played a great part in associating the Ouija with the opening of portals to hell. Actually, the original manufacturers of the Ouija were much more interested in opening a very large <laughs> bank account. <laughs> it was designed in 1890 and first advertised in 1891 and was intended from the outset to be a big commercial success. It's a bit disappointingly cynical, isn't it? Disappointingly cynical or a true American success story you choose. <laughs> The board as we know it today was patented by Charles Kennard and his business partner Elijah Bond with the help of Bond's sister-in-law Helen Peters mm. who was a medium at the time. They founded the Kennard Novelty Company to sell the boards and there's an interesting story about them getting the patent for the product. Oh yeah. 
the patent office first of all refused them the patent because apparently they couldn't prove their product would work. Whoa. So Kenard Bond and Peters went down to the patent office and the officer on duty that day asked the board to spell out his name, which the Kenard company should not have known. It accurately did spell out his name, Whoa. so they were able to say, as proven at the patent office, before it was allowed on the advertising. Oh, that is so suspicious and interesting. What an intriguing thing to have happened. It's worth saying that Bond was an attorney and probably could have had access to the name of the patent office yeah. officer that day, mm. but maybe it was genuine. I don't know. I forgot to mention earlier, actually, one of the, I suppose, coincidences surrounding Helen Peters' involvement with the origination of the Ouija was that she was an admirer of an author, um, Marie Ramey, who went by the pen name Ouida. Oh, okay. O-U-I-D-A. And apparently wore a locket with a picture of this novelist and her name written over it. So the word Ouija might have been present at the naming of the Ouija board. Oh, that's very interesting. Not sure what kind of subliminal uh, coincidence that was, but maybe it had something to do with it. Oh, that's very interesting. It was a little bit suspicious, though. um, But, I mean, it definitely helped the Ouija boom that took place, that Mm. piece of advertising. I think part of the reason it was so successful was that it was really easy to use. And it was also quite quick. Mm. Previously in spiritualism, you're calling out the entire alphabet and waiting for a knock or a rap at the right letter, then starting the whole process all over again. And it's pretty laborious. Yes, I guess it's the kind of equivalent of spirit predictive text. (laughs) Yes. And bear in mind, we have the telegraph at this point, so we can communicate at distance with each other. So Mm. the Ouija board with its yes and no answers really speeds up contacting your pals beyond the veil. (laughs) It's very cunning to make sort of spiritualism more accessible mm. you don't need a medium you don't even need a table like you can rest it on your lap or the floor and most pleasing of all it can all be yours for a dollar fifty <laughs> which was what the Ouija game cost in 1891 oh, an absolute steal considering mm. that the originals were handmade Whoa. and we know how they were done too because some of the original stencils still survive oh, cool. so brass stencils were placed over blank pieces of wood and then ink was rolled over over them to create the lettered face of the board, which was then varnished when it was dry. See, £1.50 is a steal for just a lovely handmade oracle of truth, I suppose yeah, you might say. the stencils <laughs> actually form a rather fascinating part of the Ouija story. Mm. Now, there was an incredible amount of chicanery regarding patents of the talking board property well into the 20th century, and the ins and outs of various partners leaving the company in high dungeon and forming their own patented talking boards and suing each other for copyright theft. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> arcane in its complexity, but a lot of it centres around a man called William Fould. William Fould? Yes. Fould has historically been called the father of the Ouija board. Oh, it must have been a painful and splintery birth, if so. (laughs) (laughs) He was associated with its manufacture for his whole career, certainly. He started out with fairly humble origins as a painter and varnisher, working for the Kennard Novelty Company in 1890, Uh but became a full-time partner in the company as it expanded. I think it actually bought a share for something like a dollar. Oh, right. (laughs) Um, And at the time, the company had five directors not including Kennard, who'd left in a huff and started various other talking board companies, including Volo, that wasn't a great success. Uh (laughs) And under Fold, the company became the Ouija Novelty Company and expanded further. 
But it wasn't till 1898 when the other directors took a back seat and William signed an agreement to manufacture the boards with his brother Isaac. Things got a bit fraught, resulting in a family feud which would last almost a century. Ooh, what happens? Well, Isaac was pushed out of the Ouija novelty company uh-huh. for some reason and started making his own version of the board, which he named the Oriole Talking Board. Ooh. And that's where the brass stencils come in. The excellent examples we have showed that Isaac adapted them, cutting out the Ouija logo directly. So he just <laughs> hacked it out and replaced it with his Oriole logo. Oh, great. It wasn't a great success, however. And uh, William Fould, who was much better at marketing and also much better at jumping on any competition with lawsuits, easily eclipsed his brother. See, it all sounds to me as though the Ouija business was, I guess, much bigger than I thought. Like, it seems as though it should be a kind of secretive back alley kind of thing rather than, you know, a kind of nationwide concern, I guess. It wasn't just normal. It was wildly popular. Mm. If some sales figures will help put things into perspective... By 1892, the Kennard Novelty Company had two factories in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago and one in London. And the craze continued for decades. In 1944, a New York department store sold 50,000 Ouija boards in five months. What? And as late as 1967, the game outsold Monopoly. It sold two million boards in that year. That is absolutely wild. But... I'm wondering about dates here because you've mentioned 1944. Obviously, that's the war. Mm -hmm. 1967. Okay, we're in a post-war period now, but we haven't started necessarily seeing those films that contain spooky Ouija action happening yet. Not at all. It's still sold as simple family entertainment. Amazing. And if this is all sounding rather like a wonderful rags to riches tale. Perhaps you'd like a slightly more sinister anecdote. Well, of course I would. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, in 1927, William Fould told reporters that a consultation with the Ouija had told him to prepare for big business. Right. So he invested in a three-storey, 36,000-square-foot factory. Whoa. Apparently, he liked to supervise any work on the building himself. So when just a flagpole or something very simple needed to be repaired on the roof of the building, William climbed up there. Mm. But he leaned on an iron support, which ripped from its mooring, catapulting William backwards off the building. He managed to catch himself on a window, but it slammed shut and knocked him to the ground. Miraculously, he wasn't killed, but one of his broken ribs pierced his heart on the way to hospital where he died. Oh, poor man. I mean, I'm feeling like there's got to be a Ouija movie made about... About the actual, the actual origin history story. and origins of the it's Ouija. It's quite compelling. Yeah. Especially with the feuding and the sort of rival companies oh, popping up. We should write it. Don't let anyone else steal that idea, <laughs> Three Ravens Forget community. Forget you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so that would indeed be a very upsetting interpretation of prepare for big business, the though. The big business of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but despite William's tragic end, Ouija persisted in the popular consciousness. The boards featured in television series such as I Love Lucy as a kind of jokey, fun thing, yeah. and in lots of movies. There's even a famous Norman Rockwell cartoon, famous cartoonist, mm. from a 1920 issue of the Saturday Evening Post, featuring a young couple flirting over a Ouija board that's, well, that's on their knees. Fun. And interestingly, Fuld's son, William Andrew, who took on the company, always allowed films and TV to use Ouija boards yeah, of because it was free promotion yeah, for the product. product. Placement, yeah. And then the only thing he asked for is that the production companies sent him an image of the Ouija in the production. 
and he kept a lovely scrapbook of clippings of pictures and mentions of it sometimes just photographs of a tv screen where we're just being used in the production oh well that is very cute and kind of totally charming it's still in the family's possession <laughs> today no and there are some pictures of it online it's really charming uh, definitely check it out at williamfull.com has lots of history about this if you're interested to find out more about the subject how fascinating i also wanted to talk about a very unusual use of the ouija which mm. i hadn't heard of at all until i started researching the topic and as a writer it makes me wonder if i haven't been missing out on a wonderful source of inspiration okay <laughs> in 1912 a woman called pearl curran began experimenting with a ouija board and claimed to have been contacted by the spirit of a 17th century woman called patience worth right over the next two decades pearl wrote a series of novels and poems which she said had either been directly dictated by or inspired by her sessions at the ouija board with patience oh, and, and people believed her with this some did some didn't. Mm. She's widely considered to be a fraud today, but she did claim to receive a final communication from patients saying that she was going to die soon. Yeah, I imagine when she was old. No. <laughs> oh, no. She wasn't old. Oh. She was in her 30s and she hadn't previously been ill, but she developed pneumonia and died later that year. Wow. See, now that's a kind of freaky unsolved mystery and it's the kind I like to hear about, <laughs> which brings me a little closer to my own darker associations with the weed. Like, where does this dark Ouija, I guess, timeline or, or <laughs> set of um, expectations come from? Like, why do we consider it to be something frightening today when it was once kind of a family board game that was more popular at times than Monopoly? Well, there's a simple answer. Yeah. The power of cinema. Right, right, sure. The disturbing nature of the 1973 film The Exorcist, based on the novel by William Peter Blatty, is probably almost single-handedly to blame. Is is that the first time it's a terrifying object on screen? Um, it, it features in a 1944 film, I think, called The Unnamed. Right. Um, where they use it to contact the ghost of someone who's been killed, and it's a little bit sinister, but it's nothing like as disturbing as The Exorcist. Yeah, and it's easy for us to forget today quite how globally successful and the degree to which The Exorcist was a phenomenon. Like, it's changed the number of people who joined the Catholic Church, leading to a massive recruitment drive for Catholics and a huge increase yeah, in numbers. the film had a huge influence. Yeah. Um, so in the movie, the character Reagan, who's a little girl played by Linda Blair, mm. has played with an old Ouija board and accesses a demon she calls Captain Howdy, yeah. which possesses her in the head-spinning, pea-soup-spewing way none of us have been able to get out of our imagination. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the exorcist depiction of the Ouija board as an opening to hell and possession which kicked off this cultural correlation of Ouija and evil. Even if it wasn't absolutely the first, it was definitely the one which stayed with mm, people. Okay. And it also then linked, as you said, to the upswing of people joining the Catholic Church. Yes. And then the satanic panic of the 70s and 80s. Oh, which so interesting. Which was a baseless conspiracy theory about satanic cults, which perpetrated violence and abuse. Yeah, and the kind of... Finger-pointing. QAnon stuff of its age, Yeah, it, I mean, way. it's a very similar conspiracy, yeah. in a way. A lot of finger-pointing with 
with no actual evidence, evidence yeah, to, of course to back not. it up. And, you know, since then, there have been any number of movies which feature the Ouija as a gateway for Satan and his buddies, including, of course, the Ouija franchise of films, which yes. the first one, quite good. After that, not so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they become it a little daily. The, the latest offering in that series um, was subtitled Charlie Charlie, uh-huh. I think, which is a kind of Ouija game which went viral in 2015. Oh, really? So players essentially make a makeshift board by writing yes or no on a piece of paper mm. and spinning two joined pencils. You could put a rubber band on two pencils yeah. and uh, to chat with an entity of some nature. Wow. <laughs> well, perhaps it's time we rejected these horrifying and sensationalist portrayals and reassociate the Ouija with a simple parlour game it was intended to be, get the family round the table maybe at Christmas and we could all Ouija. We, we could certainly try. I'm not sure my mother would be very keen. <laughs> People do use Ouija in serious occult practice today, though, mm. with no intention of unleashing demons. Sure. Some people believe it can be a source of enlightenment uh, to connect with ancestors or achieve guidance. And the general attitude seems to be that you should be careful and treat the board sensibly. Yes. <laughs> its description on the Hasbro website, Hasbro now owns the property today, yeah. even tells you to handle it with respect and it won't disappoint you. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think that can go with most things, maybe, in life. I mean, I think disappoint is a, a very kind of weak way of saying and it won't unleash a dark, yeah. ancient demon. <laughs> so we talked quite a lot about the origins and effects of the Ouija board, but we haven't touched on one burning question. Is it real? And does it actually work? That's a very hard question to answer. Yeah, of course. Plenty of people who've had Ouija experiences over the years absolutely believe an uncanny force was at play. Mm. I mean, the archives of customer letters on the William Fold website that they've got. Yes. People being amazed that it's really worked for them and they've been able to contact past loved ones or other answers from the ether have been given to them. A lot of people have had experiences and totally believe that Ouija works. Cool. Others are completely sceptical. Yeah, yeah. Either way, it's fascinated psychologists who've explored Ouija's link to the subconscious mind and the human ability to manipulate the planchette without perhaps being fully aware you're doing so. Yeah, now I've read and heard about experiments being conducted on Ouija participants to assess this kind of unconscious drive to movements. Yeah, and in these instances, like Ouija boards, dowsing rods, even table tapping, Mm. quite a tiny muscular movement can produce a pretty intense effect. Some researchers think that Ouija is a good way to explore how the human mind processes information on multiple different levels. So you've got your your conscious, unconscious, subconscious, pre-conscious, whatever you'd like to call it. And they've even performed experiments using Ouija-playing robots. Playing robots. The theory being the robot can't consciously manipulate data. I mean, I can't imagine this was terribly effective. (laughs) It wasn't very effective because the robot was designed to learn from the actions of the human players. Mm. So it was just sort of amplifying what it saw. It's still quite interesting. And it's, you know, worth bearing in mind that Ouija always takes place in a social context, i.e. there are going to be multiple players all with their own hopes and fears and conscious and unconscious agendas all of whom may influence the answer which comes through and that's you know 
discounting the possibility that there are actually ghosts and demons also moving that planchette. Also know. a possibility. And mm. <laughs> um, it's known as the idiomotor effect, by the way, when the planchette with multiple fingers on it appears to move on its own. Idiomotor. Idiomotor, yeah. Mm, and that's interesting. loads of participants have reported, oh, it moved on its own. In fact, they did one experiment where they had a, a player who was a sort of a participant and one of the researchers, and they were doing it together. And halfway through, the player was blindfolded and they carried on for a bit. Then the researcher took their finger off, but the player didn't realise. But the planchette was still happily moving. Whoa. And the player then reported that they felt it was moving of its own accord. That's so Even though spooky. they were the only person That's who so could have been creepy. moving it. But it was it was an experiment into how if we think we're participating with others, yeah. we may unconsciously create oh, movements. That's so interesting. But I guess the big question for me is knowing all of this, knowing, you know, created as a family game, oh, it's all just films, oh, we've all got misled, but Eleanor? Would you now consider doing a Ouija? Like, would the two of us sit down of an evening and do a Ouija together? I think I would be very slightly more inclined after reading up about it and okay. understanding a little bit more of the history. But I'm still going to hedge my bets, I think, and say no. How yeah. about you? No, I mean, the, the the hairs are all standing up on my arms. I'm freaked out. Like, the idea of Ouija scares me because I guess it's the possibility of the risk of letting something really bad directly into your house mm. I don't know I mean you know we do quite a lot to ward our house from bad energy and yes, exactly. keep ourselves safe you wouldn't want a careless encounter with a Ouija board to ruin all of that hard exactly work. <laughs> yeah you don't want to open a portal that then lets something in that you then are ill-equipped to get out of your house again. Now, Ugh. while Martin and I are being cautious, yes. we would love to know if you have had any experiences with the Ouija, whether positive, negative, or simply interesting. So do please get in touch with us on social media or by emailing threeravenspodcast at gmail.com yep. and tell us all about it. Yes, please do. And that's also the place to send us your thoughts and your own tales of wonder and dread. Or you can get in touch with us on social media via facebook.com forward slash threeravenspodcast ravens podcast instagram at three ravens podcast and twitter via at three ravens pod and if you're enjoying the podcast please consider subscribing to our patreon at patreon.com forward slash three ravens podcast oh, yes please we have lots of exclusive goodies on there and a new monthly newsletter has just come out yes otherwise we will be back on monday with some ghost stories for haunting season and a special bestiary episode all about demons on thursday oh it's still a little bit early but we wanted to remind everybody about our three ravens pumpkin carving contest as well to celebrate haunting season the rules are simple carve a pumpkin and send us a photo or tag us on social media and we'll pick our three favorites and the winners will receive a limited edition haunting season three ravens mug we haven't decided what we're going to carve on no. our pumpkins yet this year but we can't wait to see all of yours until next time then while our planchette has pointed that way we'll go this way and remember don't whistle till you're out of the woods our theme song is the traditional folk ballad Three Ravens, performed by Eleanor Conlon and Ben Harbour, and our logo is by Ollie James Dare. The Three Ravens podcast is a Rust and Stardust production, produced by me, Martin Vaux. Thanks for listening. God sent every gentleman, such hounds, such hawks, and such lean with a down, dairy, 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 down, down.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.